where does creativity fit into compliance? In more places than you think. Problem solving, accountability, communication, and connection. They all take creativity. Join your hosts, Tom Fox and Ronnie Feldman on Creativity and Compliance, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox and Ronnie Feldman back for another episode. And today you are in for a real treat because we have special guest Ricardo Palafon. He is the founder of Broadcat, a creative agency that develops simple, task-based, creative-designed compliance checklists and graphical content. Ricardo is quite outspoken about why he thinks compliance training sucks, but he has some ideas how to make it not suck. So we're going to explore that. We're going to explore Broadcat. He's got a really unique background in compliance that brought him up uh, to where he is. And of course, we have Mr. Shy Cub himself, Ronnie Feldman. So Ronnie. That's right. What do you got to say for us? Oh, uh, what do I get to say? Um, what, shy Cub. Well, I, can't, I do miss the Cubs. I'll tell you that. Um, hey, we're excited to have uh, uh, Ricardo on. Uh, uh, he's he's someone that uh, we chat all the time at the conferences. And um, so anyway, excited to have you on, Ricardo. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So, Ricardo, why don't you uh, tell the listeners a little bit about uh, your professional background? Because I think it's uh, a really unique journey that's brought you to Broadcat or found Broadcat. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so I started my career out as a litigator. So I was at like a boutique, and then I was at a big international firm. Um, and I started off doing like shareholder litigation defense. So like when boards are sued by their shareholders for compliance issues, that, that was we, we would be retained to be their investigations counsel. Uh, from there, I went in-house. So I was an in-house compliance lawyer at a Fortune 500 in California and then at a sovereign wealth group in the Middle East. So I was in Abu Dhabi for a couple of years. Um, and there I was running investigations as well. And so what led me to Broadcat was, so I, I don't come to training and communications from, from that background. I come from the investigation side of the, of the house. And that's really what led me to it. So I started Broadcat about four years ago. And a lot of, of the driver for that is just seeing that like a lot of the stuff that was being done in training and communications just lived in like this like totally parallel universe from the type of stuff that actually causes investigations. And so that is the problem that we try and solve is really framing things around. This is the type of stuff that gets you in trouble. This is what you should be training on. So, Ronnie, I'm going to play the straight man in this trio. So I'm going to pitch it over to you. (laughs) Sure. Well, uh, just by way of introduction, uh, I remember learning about Broadcat about four years ago. Um, it's about the time when I started learnings and entertainments and I started seeing this other, uh, creative agency popping up called Broadcat. I'm like, what, what's, what's this get these guys all about? Um, and then I found that we, we were talking a lot of similar language, uh, and hitting on a lot of the same themes, which is that the way traditional compliance training is conducted is just terrible. And it tends to be terrible for lots of different reasons that I hope to talk about today. Um, so I thought maybe this is a good place to start. So why don't we start with a question number one from your perspective, Ricardo, why is compliance training the worst? Yeah. Yeah. So there's like a million different ways to, to, to answer that. And I think a lot of times we, we start, we, we talk about things that are true, but kind of surface level. So people critique that it's like cheesy or it's too long. All of that is like absolutely dead on true. Um, but I think there's this really foundational issue where I think a lot of the times, 
when you see why compliance training is really bad, it's because the people who are making it or deploying it are not really clear on what compliance training is supposed to do. And so they try and make it do too much. And then they get upset that it doesn't work. But of course, it doesn't work if you're trying to use it for the wrong purpose. So um, let me just maybe give a a definition for what compliance training is. There's four parts to it. So it's number one, compliance training is a tool. Uh, Number two, it's a tool that you use to drive behavior. Uh, Number three, it's a tool used to drive behavior of willing people. And number four, tool you use to drive behavior of willing people by helping them make decisions. So to unpack Mm -hmm. uh, unpack that a little bit, um, when I say it's a tool, I mean that uh, compliance training is it's like not valuable in itself. It is valuable because it does something else. So it's valuable because it gets a result versus just being valuable for the sake of doing it. So that's the first piece of it. So um, the second piece is that the result you get is changed behavior. So the purpose of compliance training is to get people to do something different. And that is what distinguishes it from like compliance education. Um, three, the, the audience for compliance training is willing people. So like people who want to do the right thing. Because you can always ignore training, like always. Like, I know Tom is also sitting in Texas. Uh, Tom, you're also an attorney like me. uh, Anyone who sits in Texas as an attorney has to do, uh, well, my license, I deactivated my license, so I don't have to do this anymore. But otherwise, 15 hours of continuing legal education every year. And what you've learned pretty quickly is that they'll, they'll try and do things to make sure that you are watching the continuing legal education things online, like pop a little code up or they get to click on something every couple minutes. And like, it takes like two seconds to figure out that you can just also look at your phone or have something in another window. So when you talk about things like training, it's for people who want to learn. You can always find a way to ignore it. And like, that's okay. I think a lot of people have a lot of angst about that fact, but what they're doing is, is like forgetting that training is one part of a compliance program. So like training and comms is one part. You also have auditing and monitoring and investigations and discipline. Those are for your people who don't care about doing the right thing. You don't have to try and force them to learn stuff. They're never going to. You can't make people learn anything. So it's for people who want to learn. That, that's where a lot of it goes. Uh, training goes wrong, especially online training. And then finally, it's for help, helping people make decisions. And this is what distinguishes it from a control. So you use training when you need to have a human being decide to do something. So you can't fully systematize or standardize it. You have to have like a human body decide to do something. That's what you do training for. If it's something you can fully systematize, like a lot of times people use training as a control, it's not a control. And if you try and make it a control, you're going to be frustrated. So that's the definition for it. I think um, big picture, I think the root cause of why a lot of it's so bad is because people try and use it for the wrong purpose. You see this, especially in annual training, where it's like uh, people are doing it just for the sake of saying they did annual training um, the content's about abstract concepts instead of like the behaviors you want people to do. There's all these mechanics put in that are exclusively there. So people don't click through too quick. Like, and, but again, you can't make people learn. So all it does is annoy the people who do want to learn. And then it covers stuff that should be a control. So like, I obviously, I believe very strongly that training is a powerful tool, but I also believe like a jackhammer is a powerful tool. It doesn't mean you use it to solve every problem. So Ultimately, when you see why, why so many people, compliance people as well as business people, hate compliance training, it's because it's not the right tool for what's trying to be done, and people are using it for the wrong purpose. You have to use the right tool for the job. I want to pick up on that, but just to talk a little bit about uh, some of these aspects of training for a second. So it's like, uh, just to restate, you got these uh, 
people who are using yeah. compliance training, but they're treating it like education. They're trying to teach you to be a compliance officer. Uh, yeah. Compliance officers. Yeah. Versus teaching you what to do when a certain situation yeah. comes up. Yeah. So that's super interesting. Um, and then uh, the other thing I find interesting is that they, I feel like they, um, they'll take like a bad <laughs> training video and that, but then they'll throw money at it and they'll put all these bells and whistles in it, but it's still a bad training video because it, it's not yep. made for the, with the end user in mind. Does that sound fair? Yeah. So both those things get to, I think, um, prioritizing the wrong thing. And so I think with the first time, or the first point you made is, is that's content, right? So when you talk about the content, it's what the end user, what the employee needs, not what you know as the compliance person. Mm-hmm. And so it, by default, both for stuff you can buy off the shelf as well as stuff that you do in-house. I was 100% guilty of this when I was in-house. That it's, it's just easy to try and make people uh, like you because you can do everything from your perspective and just say, here's everything I know. You should know it too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the problem is like, it's super hard for the people who are listening to it. So that, that's the first piece. The second piece you're talking about is where I think people prioritize format or media over problem. And so it's like, mm-hmm. you got to like, you start with like, what do you want people to do? And then from there you figure out what the right tool is to use. So if you're listening to this and you're like, wow, I should really have some like infographics or a like, compliance training video, like stop, like you don't know that yet. Think about what, like, what do you want? Who are you, who are you trying to reach? What do you want them to do? And then once you answer those questions, the format is a lot more obvious. But if you start thinking that, like, you know, hey, I have to have this be an interactive animated video, like that, for some cases, you should. But like, if you start from that, you're going to just be looking for a problem. So you start with like, what is the business problem you're trying to solve? And then you back into, and then finally, the, the format, the, the tool you use is the last thing you decide. So I think that that's where you see people, they have a bad training video, they make it a, a more expensive training video, but it shouldn't have been a training video in the first place. And like, that's the problem is like, you have to, like, we have to start with what is the business problem we are trying to solve. That's where you training is very meaningful is where it's solving a specific problem versus just throwing media at people. I, I relate to this quite a bit because uh, even um, before I got on the compliance space, we were creating comedic content for all sorts of different uh, business problems and people yeah. would come, Hey, can we want a viral video or, Hey, we really into animation or really into live action, or we really want it scenario based. And they come with all these things and we always, we let them talk. And then you always say, great. What is it that we're trying to, solve? <laughs> what is it that we're trying yeah. to do? Because, uh, form should follow function. So it yes, totally, totally makes sense. Like, and as you say, like the ideas will present themselves when you figure out what is it that we're trying to do. Yeah, it's just, it's so it's strategy versus tactics. So strategy is like, what are you trying to do? Then the tactic is the format you use. And like, look, everyone falls prey to this. I fall prey to this when we're looking at like sales and marketing strategies or tactics. And it's like, oh, I see people doing this. We should go do this. And it's like, well, what are you really trying to do? And then finding the tool to use that is a lot easier. But the problem is, is that like we all see tools and, and shiny things in the marketplace all the time. We all want to go after. So like no matter, it's not unique to compliance. It's just a very human thing that you have to force yourself to slow down and think about what am I really trying to do? How will I know if it worked? And then picking the tools like super easy after that because you know exactly what you're trying to accomplish. That is difficult to do, but that is exactly how your business people operate. Like your business will not stay in business if that is if that if your business people aren't thinking that way. Uh, I have a, a another question, but Tom just checking in. Did, did you have any? Uh, do you want to chime in at this point, or should I plow forward? 
So, yeah, what's uh, could you define, uh, Ricardo, or, or maybe give a little more uh, color around the uh, differences between compliance training and compliance education? Yeah, um, absolutely. I can give you like uh, some characteristics and then an analogy that will uh, probably clarify it more. Um, so uh, education is when you need someone to have a really flexible understanding. Um, it's really about concepts and frameworks. Because that person, it's a part of their core job duty, and they need to apply it in a whole lot of different circumstances. So education, compliance education is what compliance professionals need and what a couple control people need. So maybe some people on your auditing team. Um, Most of what you see in the market and most of what people do in-house falls in this bucket. And that is because of what I just said, that it's uh, it's very easy for us to create education because it's, it's natural. It's just explaining what we know from our perspective. Um, but it's also really hard for learners. So that's education. Training is when you say, I need people to do these specific things. It's not part of their core job duty. You just need them to know how it applies to them so they can do their job the right way. That's what most employees actually need day to day. Seriously, now the analogy here is, is taxes. So if you think about... Um, you think about how you how you interact with with like the the tax code. Like we all have to pay taxes, right? So um, I have a tax accountant, and the, and he needs to have tax education. Like he absolutely, it's his job is describing how taxes apply to all of his clients. He needs to know how it applies in all these different circumstances. He has to know the concepts and the frameworks and to be able to apply it very flexibly. I don't need that. Like my job, I'm not a tax lawyer. That's not my job. I just need to know. Um, how, how much money am I supposed to pay? And how do I file it the right way? And so I need training on it. So I just need to know how does, how does it apply to me? So and I don't need to know how it applies to anyone else other than me. So that's a delta between the two. When you're talking about education, the people, someone who needs education has to be able to apply it in all these different circumstances very flexibly. Um, someone who needs training just needs to know how to do their own thing the, the right way. And so that's why I say most employees just need training. They, know, they don't need to know how to be compliance professionals. They need to know how to be compliant salespeople and compliant engineers and compliant marketers and so on and so on. Uh, back to you, Ronnie. Getting back to sort of the right tool for the job, um, it seems to me that, that like, so you have, most companies do these annual compliance training, right? They do these annual compliance training. Let's touch on that for a second. Um, it seems like, first of all, why why is it an sure. annual training? They try, are you, they're trying to shove too much into yep. one bucket. Just maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think I, I am somewhat sympathetic to this, right? So like, I think the form of annual training is terrible. Like, it's 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 a one hundred percent check the box thing. That's why it's annual training. So the fact that you put annual in front of it means that you're doing it on a time based cadence for the sake of saying you did it once a year, right? So uh, as a format, like you're not getting a lot done there. But sometimes you have to check a box. Like that's okay. Like there are reasons you would have to do it, like for insurance or for your board, where they just want comfort out of that, right? So sometimes you have to do it. So I, in an ideal world, you wouldn't. It's not tied to any specific risk. It's just check the box, but you got to check a box, right? So I think the key thing when you have to check a box, and there's lots of stuff in compliance where you have to do it that way, is like you recognize that that's what you're doing and you don't overdo it. So like the problem with annual training is that people know it's a check the box thing because they have to do it once a year. And like people know that, like they pick up on like, oh, it's time to do it again. Um, That's clearly we're checking a box. So kind of like lean into that and just do it as efficiently as possible. So I think where people go wrong with this is they overload how much stuff there is. 
And then it just makes it worse. So the format already is signaling to people, this is a check the box activity. If you then pile up like way too much content and like a whole bunch of learning mechanics that force people to go slow, you're going to be in this position where it, it looks like they're not just trying to check a box, but shift liability to employees. So the analogy here would be like, think about like if you go buy a product from Apple and you go to their website and it's like super clean, it's largely images, it's very simple. And like, they are just telling you enough to get you to act. And then once you buy it, you like open up iTunes and you get the end user license agreement. It's like 40 pages. So like, that's the, like, those are different signals that the, 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 that are being sent by the way that it's being communicated to you. And so if your annual training feels more like the iTunes user agreement, where it's so much information at one point, there is that as a reader, you're thinking, wow, this looks really like the iTunes user agreement, or it looks really similar to like when I rent a car and they give you that contract and you're like, like, who's going to spend an hour reading it right there? And so the message that you get is like, well, based on other things in my life, I know that what they're signaling to me right now is it doesn't matter if I do anything. It just matters that I sign so they can hold me accountable and fire me if I do something wrong. And so when you're thinking about annual training, you may have to do it because it's check the box. Do it as fast as possible, like lean into it. If you pile all this stuff on top, then you're already, the format itself is already signaling to people to check the box activity. If you put too much information on people, it's going to feel more like any other time in their life where a lawyer is asking them to sign something just for legal liability and not because they actually care. I don't know that maybe Apple does, but I really think they don't care if you, if you read any part of the iTunes EULA. I just think they care that um, you've checked that box. And so that's, that's where I feel like a lot of stuff goes wrong. It's just, you, have, you probably have to do it for reasons you can't control, but you can be smart about it and save your political capital for other things. Well, so that's a great transition. So one of the reasons I wanted to, you to chat about that is – uh, just to lean into the idea that if it if if there's re, there's rational reasons to have a check the box activity, so yeah. let's not pile too much effort into that, or let's do that more efficiently. Call it what yeah. it is, treat it like it is, so that that you can spend your time and resources doing things that are more effective. And that to me is a nice transition to basically the business that you've created, and quite frankly, the business that I've created, which is that you, what I think that you do is you improve ease of access to information yeah. by creating these tools that can be, I'll let you talk about it, but in my, my, in my eye, mind's eyes, so that you're providing tools to, for people to use in the time of need. And what yeah. we're doing is focusing on communication and awareness to improve ease of access to information about how to speak up and to, and to spend more time on comms and awareness on more ethical kinds of issues. Yeah. Um, totally. So anyway, speak to that a little bit. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think um, when you, when you talk about being efficient with a check the box thing, just briefly on that um, there, it's your time, but it's also your political capital. So the more time you take for the more time you ask of employees for annual training, the less time the business will give you for stuff that does not check the box. And so, like, like, it's very wise just to recognize that in any organization, you have a limited amount of political capital that you can spend on things. Uh, going all in on an annual check-the-box training is not smart. Do that as efficiently as possible. Be realistic about it. And then go figure out what's actually a little bit more risk-based. So focusing, and this is where you get into the type of work that you and I do, where you're going to be zeroing in more on, like, okay, who are the audiences I really care about? So I think when you and I spoke at the SEC last year, I gave this or an example of like the last company where I was in-house had, I don't remember, something like 
somewhere between 60 and like 100,000 employees, depending if you add contractors in there or not. So like a lot of people, but 500 who are director level and above. That 500 are the one you care about, like a lot. Like you care a lot about them. You care not so much about the other, the other like giant base of, of those people. Because the, the people who are at the top are the people who have the ability to like sign for stuff and like commit the company to money. And so those are the ones you want to focus your time on. You don't want to blow it all, all your political capital that should be being spent on those people with the annual training. But so then what do you do once you do – so let's say you, you do that, you're efficient in annual training. What do you spend your time on? So uh, when I talk about – so we talked about training and communication um, or training and, and education. The third, the third pillar of that is awareness and comps. And so this is where I, I spend a lot of my time, where you spend a lot of your time – this is like advertise. So one way to think of this is like advertising for the stuff that you've trained and educated people on. And so it's the highest frequency stuff you're going to do it tends to be a very light touch, but it's also a different toolkit. Um, so I think uh, I do want to just pause for a second and throw it back to you on the word advertising. And then I hundred percent will get to board. I get to plug my stuff because I know you're yeah, setting yeah, me up for sure. that. And I uh, absolutely do that. <laughs> but yeah, but, no, but sure. I, but I, but I think if you're hearing this too, I think one of the things where I see people go wrong with awareness and comms is they just try and have it be shorter training. And I do think it's a different tool. And this is where I think the analogy of advertising is really powerful because if you just make it a shorter version of training and education, then like it's, just, it's still that tool. So, and it's, you're trying to do something very different here that involves a lot more dealing with people's emotions and keeping things top of mind. So can you just briefly kind of frame up like, hey, this, these are like the, some of the tools to think about things like as an advertiser. Well, the, so thank you for that. The, the, the thing that I like to talk about that I, and I agree with you on this about comms uh, is that it's usually a simple, you can borrow advertising techniques, which are very effective in the advertising world, which is yeah. they tend to have a very simple message. They tend to be very entertaining. Um, they they tend to make try and make emotional connections with people. That doesn't necessarily mean dramatic, because like music makes a, emotional connections with people, and um, drama sometimes does, and comedy sometimes does. But they make emotional connections, um, and they're really there to, uh, in some ways, and this applies to ethics compliance, change the branding of how you think about them, and yeah. that's a big problem in ethics compliance. Is people have that title has a bad reputation so anyway I, I i like to focus our stuff on how to have high touch uh, freak short frequent interesting communications that help change the branding about how you feel about speaking up and the ethics compliance team yeah. um and we're not trying to and then you can dig deeper later if you're interested to get more information and that sort of maybe tips to some of the tools that you make which is to how to help people in the time of need yeah yeah so, yeah so hey why don't you talk a little bit about that yeah 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 uh so, i mean i think uh, what you, how this stuff fits together is it's you're thinking about like a marketing funnel so yeah. if you talk about like there there's a place for and i think one of the areas that where you see why training is bad is people keep trying to do everything at once and nothing works that way. Like there's an advertising component. That's your awareness and communications that is reminding people of a concept and driving them down to like something that's like, okay, what do I do now? That's where my stuff comes in often, which is the train, like the, the very short tactical training stuff. Um, but like to give an, an analogy, like if you go look at like, go look at like advertisements from the fifties, for like like Paul Mall cigarettes or whatever they you know where it's just like but what you notice is that like there's a ton of copy 
there'll be like two or three paragraphs about why like drink Coca-Cola because it's great because it's brown fizzy water. And like today, when you see how advertising is done, it's like entirely images with like a couple words. And like it's very it's very because because people advertisers figured out what works and having a ton of copy and having everything explain everything every time doesn't work for people. So I think when you're looking at the stuff you do, what I like about it is the emphasis on, okay, how do you really get people to, how do you make something really salient to people? And it's with the same tools advertisers use. Once that's relevant to them, what we really focus on, I guess, two things. So substantively, the content that broadcast creates, we really focus on business framing. So how do business people think? Put it in their context. So um, the challenge with, uh, with a lot of us in compliance is that we're really deep in the subject matters that we know. And it's challenging for us to translate it into like, what does the salesperson need to know? So that's what we do substantively. On the uh, commercial side of things, so we, we sell that content. The way we sell it is, is unique too. So um, we, uh, we are trying to change how people buy ethics and compliance comms over at compliancedesignclub.com. That's our site for that. Um, so right now, if you, especially if you're listening to this and you've been in compliance a little bit, uh, how you tend to have to buy things is you end up buying like way more than you'll ever use in your entire lifetime. You have to pay for it forever because you never get to own it. And so what we are trying to do with Compliance Design Club is when you join as a member, you get hundreds and hundreds of options. You only pay for what you actually use. The stuff you buy, you get to keep forever and you get something free each month as well. So totally different than anything else in compliance, totally similar to everything else in your like other other life <laughs> we're trying to make it feel very very much like a normal consumer product uh that is a lot more cu- customer friendly so if you're hearing if you're listening to this and you're hearing from your business that they want you to be uh they want to see that you can be flexible and cost efficient come check us out over there uh our site is compliancedesignclub.com that's awesome um go ahead tom yeah so uh ricardo you asked i heard you asked three questions what am I trying to do? How do I measure it? And what's the best tool to accomplish that? Um, could you expand a little bit on how do you measure it? Because that's what the government is really focused on, uh, largely since 2017, but they call it effectiveness. How do you measure effectiveness? Yeah, so uh, monitoring is the answer. And so this is where I think part of our approach is to recognize that training is, like, you don't measure training like in a silo, you measure it in conjunction with other parts of your program. So um, uh, training should tie directly to something you are monitoring, whether that's a control or whether that's an operational indicator. And so that's with our work, we focus a lot on the type of things that's like, you, this is the type of data point you'd be monitoring. And this is how you train someone to do that the right way. And then the way you know if it's working is if your monitoring data gets better. And so when I think about, when I hear people ask questions about how you'll know if your program's working, I usually find that that's a sign that they're not doing much, if any, compliance monitoring. Like that, that's, that's how, you know, like it's, it's an element of your program is that, uh, you are monitoring the operational outputs and you've defined what it means for that to happen the right way. So it's this process of, if you're worried about corruption, for example, why? And me, the, the reason is because your business must do something. There must be some type of operations or behaviors that your people engage in or could be engage in that makes you worried about it. And so, uh, how does that translate into something you can capture? And so that might be something like, hey, we're worried because we have a high-touch sales process that touches government officials because we're in construction or whatever. Um, we're worried about gifts and entertainment, but we operate in a part of the world where you can't just say no, you do have to do them. So how might you capture that and monitor it? Well, you know, you can capture and monitor what people submit for reimbursement. 
And so you start monitoring. So the idea is, and then you can train people on, this is the requirement for what you're allowed to, to do. So that, that, I think it's working backwards from you know, risk assessment through monitoring and controls and then training. I, I think what, the reason why a lot of people struggle to measure training is they do it first. It's actually downstream from monitoring. And so once you, once you understand what outcomes you're looking for in your program, then you train to achieve those outcomes. Just the process of giving people information so you drive towards outcomes you want. Um, I think a lot of times people start with training because it just feels like, okay, well, you know, I, I can certainly, I don't really have to understand what my business does to go tell people about the FCPA. The problem is if someone then asks you, how do you know if your training works, you don't really have an answer. So when I, when I answer that question, it would be in the context of training should tie very closely to monitoring. That, that reflects a very integrated approach um, to not just like the compliance elements being integrated together, but then being integrated with what the business practically does, which is just the basic core of operationalization. Ronnie? Yeah, well, so I, I, I've had the pleasure of uh, uh, being on panels with Ricardo, and I know that he and I could talk about this forever but in the interest of time let me try and summarize and and we'll we'll wrap up uh so uh what i'm taking away from this um compliance people often are uh spending their time trying to educate people uh and uh focusing on doing this uh in a very sophisticated way where perhaps they should be focusing on um taking that annual training and make that closer to check the box and focus on training on specific things that will help people do their jobs better and then have maybe uh, spend some of that extra time on improving ease of access to information um comms and awareness reminding people making it easy to know where information is and giving them tools i.e like what broadcast does to help them do their jobs better um do you want to put a button on that and then give yourself a final plug ricardo Look, compliance is like any other part of running a business. I think the, the more you frame it as a as part of business ops versus legal, um, the easier it is to understand uh, why why it's so important to do it the way you just described, and also why it's hard to do it that way. Um, it, it is very easy. Um, it is easy, or it's easier, I'll say, to go and tell people about what the law says or what a risk is. Um, but if you feel that persistent unease that you're not really sure how to show if your stuff works, like that's why. Because it's not really tied to business ops. So, you know, recognizing there's going to be times you have to check a box, being okay with that, and then spending the rest of your time really figuring out what do I want the business to be doing, and then training them on how to do that. Like, that is where you will get um, the most business partnership, where the business is going to see the value the most, and where you're going to have the best data that you can show as to whether your stuff works or not. And what it really does is, is help you recognize that, again, training and comms are tools. They're tools to achieve some type of business outcome by themselves, just doing them is a cost. So you use them to achieve a purpose. Um, so you can, we've got tons more resources, if, uh, like expanding on this. We have a free book you can download that walks through all of this approach over at thebroadcat.com. And you can check out our product site over at compliancedesignclub.com. So, uh, Ricardo, you've now been on two of 28 podcasts awesome. I have. So you only have 20 more to go. Uh, this has been great. Uh, <laughs> It's so many. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, uh, and we haven't even gotten to the non Tom Fox podcast. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, um, uh, this is very cool and lots uh, to think about, lots to digest. And I think, uh, or rather, I hope we can continue the conversation. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Creativity and Compliance. 
If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.